This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. We have known Silicon Valley to be a place of great innovation over the last few decades, but with the good has come the bad. The culture in that region of the country has taken its lumps, whether it be sexism in those companies or lack of opportunities for women. The issues have crept to the forefront of media coverage. We know that some of the household names in that region, like Steve Jobs over the years, but what about some of the lesser known names who were just as important to the innovation, but also part of the cultural issues as well? Leslie Berlin is a project historian for the Silicon Valley Archives at Stanford University, and she looks at what has happened and why it has happened in her new book, Troublemakers, How Silicon Valley Came of Age. And it's a pleasure to have Leslie on the show with us right now. Leslie, welcome. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Thank you. So, I mean, obviously, in in archiving a lot of what Silicon Valley is and was, the the seeds of doing a book like this germinated? Yeah, that's absolutely right. Uh, Stanford has an incredible archive that collects uh, old papers and video, audio, emails of people and companies all across Silicon Valley. And, I mean, you can't help but fall in love with the history as you touch the things that these people touched, read what they wrote, thinking no one was ever going to see this notebook. But then, you know, years later, they decide to give it to Stanford. And yeah, the magic is very real. It's it's so exciting to see that and then get to try to put all of these, at at times, what can seem like random bits of uh, information and incredible stories from across the valley into two covers. So when you talk about Silicon Valley now, obviously the innovation and what is being brought forth into our culture, the good part of it is obviously discussed with some of the issues as well. Was Silicon Valley like that, basically the same back in the 70s? Yeah, I think that when you look at Silicon Valley almost from the beginning, there's there's always been, and it's this way for everybody, right, the the same thing that makes a place incredible or a person incredible can sometimes be their blind spot. So in the 70s, you have the same sort of pursuit of innovation and excitement and also change and doing things that people really felt needed to happen um, and the spirit that we can do this. Um, and honestly, in the 70s with the Vietnam War and then Watergate, a real sense not only that we can do this, but we have to do this, that the big institutions are not going to protect us and combine that with the California counterculture that was yeah. already here. And you get that sort of spirit. Um, on the flip side, then, you end up with uh, people who um, on the outside can can seem sort of Um, You know, audacity can sometimes flip to arrogance. And then, of course, Silicon Valley was part of the broader American culture, which at the time was, you know, incredibly sexist. In 1974, a woman couldn't get a credit card without her husband's signature. Sexual harassment wasn't even acknowledged um, as illegal uh, until 1977, I believe. So it's just you know, with the good comes the bad, of course. Uh, well, and, and your book focuses a lot on 
some of the lesser known names uh, of Silicon Valley, and obviously, as I mentioned, you know, Steve Jobs is pr- probably one of the, the the largest names in the history uh, of that region. Uh, but w- why? What is it about these other people that really drove uh, you to want to, to to write about them, but also really to drive them to to have the successes that they had? So I. Uh... There's, there's so many reasons. I think that it takes nothing away from the people in the spotlight to recognize that usually just just outside the border of that spotlight are so many people without whom the other person couldn't be mm-hmm. uh, where they are. Uh, I talk about in the book having gone to a party once where the COO of a company with a very famous celebrity CEO was singing a little song called, and, and uh, literally the only lyrics to this song were, I did all the work, he got all the credit. Um, <laughs> and I think that in, innovation is a team sport, and we need to recognize all the different people on these teams. That said, for me, the criteria I had was, was pretty straightforward. One, I did want these to be people whose names were not household names, not just for the fun of discovery, but because these are the people, I mean, how often do you hear about a celebrity engineer? But then again, no no engineers, no Silicon Valley. So I wanted them to be people who weren't necessarily well-known, mm-hmm. people who were important, and people whose stories themselves were absolutely fascinating. So in the case of Apple, I write about Mike Markula, yeah. who owned a third of Apple uh, with Jobs and Wozniak, and who was the person who was able to sort of parlay their genius into a company at a time when there were dozens of little startups with people trying to build personal computers. But it's Markla who turned that company into the youngest company ever to hit the Fortune 500. Well, Markla was actually somebody I wanted to ask you about anyway, because when you think about what Apple has become today, I don't know if anybody really even associates him with the company in any way, shape or form. Yeah, it was it was a really exciting discovery for me. And you asked a little bit about how did I come to this. Um, so I had written my my first book was a biography of Bob Noyce, who's the co-founder of Intel and the co-inventor of the microchip, and an, actually an important mentor to Steve Jobs. And um, after, while I was writing that book, Mike Markula, who had worked with Noyce at Intel, had said, "Hey, if you ever do another book." Um, I'd be happy to help you with it. And I didn't really think anything of that. Then when I came to start looking at this time period and looked, really looked at the early Apple, and I started realizing, wait a second, uh, Jobs and Markula are signing the annual report together. You know, what is this about? Um, I realized not only was Markula so important, but that entire generation that had come before of uh, people who worked in the semiconductor industry. If you look at Apple when it went public in 1980, you had the president, the chairman of the board, the VP manufacturing, VP of HR, the, the chief legal counsel, VP sales. You just go all, all of their first important investors. They were all former chip people. And all of a sudden, something that Steve Jobs said in his 2005 commencement address at Stanford made so much sense to me. He talked about how when he had been fired from Apple, uh, he said he felt like he had dropped the baton that had been passed from David Packard to Bob Noyce to him. And I thought, wow, this is, this is a real thing. This generational handoff is a really important 
part of understanding what makes Silicon Valley tick. Well, you also, uh, speaking of the issues surrounding women, you also uh, talked with uh, Sandra Kurtzig as well, who was one of the, I guess, one of the first female entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley. Yeah, she was a software entrepreneur at a time where, I mean, Larry Ellison tells a story about trying to raise money uh, for Oracle and going around with his two co-founders uh, to venture capitalists and and not only being told, we don't want to help you, having them, he, I mean, I'm sure he's exaggerating, but he says they would check his briefcase to make sure, you know, he hadn't stolen a copy of Business Week. This seemed like such a crazy idea. Silicon Valley was all about hardware at the time. Yeah. And here comes Sandra Kurtzig, not only doing software, but a woman. People thought she was selling lingerie when they yeah. heard that she was doing software. <laughs> she really uh, built this entire company from her kitchen table outside the existing networks that existed in Silicon Valley. What has she said about the, the, the issue of culture in, in Silicon Valley and, and even to this day still being in a, a problem to a degree? Well, I, it's, I was just talking with her about this the other day. I mean, she was saying that, you know, the, the opportunities for women now have never been greater uh -huh. and that the, you know, the companies that are going to really look at the very solid research that shows the value of uh, diversity, not just among um, gender, but race, you know, th those are the companies that uh, have been shown to be more innovative and, and creative in their thinking. I think that um, Sandy is a very practical person, and that's something that comes across um, not just about her, but everyone in this book. And um, she took the situation that was handed to her and, and turned it into what she needed it to be. We are joined uh, by Leslie Ber Berlin, who is the author of the book Troublemakers, Silicon Valley's Coming of Age. Uh, Leslie, also a project historian for the Silicon Valley Archives at Stanford University. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you can't get to your phone, uh, shoot me a tweet at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. One of the other uh, people that you talk with in this book, and I'm old enough to remember this, uh, was the developer of Pong. And, <laughs> and I do remember playing it. And, and now you think about that game, and I'm speaking of Al, Alan Alcorn, uh, you look at that what that game was, and obviously it was one of the, you know, the first ventures into gaming, uh, video gaming, but... Uh, but it, I mean, it was it, it, it was so simplistic when you think about it now. But back then, it, it was kind of transformational. Yeah, it absolutely was. And I mean, we're talking about a time when when people, I mean, you know, obviously people didn't have computers in their houses. When you had a screen, what you were looking at either was a slide or one of these uh, transparencies that people used to have at their jobs. Or most likely, what you were seeing was broadcast by the television networks. So the notion that you could do anything on a little box in front of you, for example, if we're talking about the Pong that comes to your house, you know, the home Pong, and what you did affected the movement you saw on the screen, this was astonishing to people. Even back in the arcades, this was crazy to people. Uh, one of the founders of Atari told me that he used to get people asking him, how did the networks know that you had turned a knob so that they would then change what you saw on the screen? Yeah.
844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is which is at DanLoney21. Uh, I'd be interested to get your opinion on the immigration issue and, and how that has impacted Silicon Valley, not just now, but, but over the years as well. Yeah, so, I mean, Silicon Valley has always been built by people who weren't born here. I mean, in the beginning, it was people coming from other parts of the United States. But by the 1970s, the percent of the population that was born outside of the country was already about a double what it is, uh, what it was in the rest of the United States. And, and now we're at the point where two-thirds of the people working in science and technology in the Valley today, two-thirds of them uh, were born outside of the United States. More than half of the companies, um, you know, the so-called unicorn companies that are privately held with a valuation of a billion dollars or more, more than half of those companies have someone born outside the United States yeah. as a founder or co-founder. So you don't have Silicon Valley uh, without immigrants. And there, there are things we need to be working on. Like, I, I think there's been some pretty good evidence that the H-1B visa system is not being used exactly the way it was intended right. to be used. Right. But that doesn't take away from the fact that uh, no immigrants, no Silicon Valley. But you also have, speaking of the companies themselves, you also have a variety of them that are dealing with issues, uh, whether it be financial or regulatory, not necessarily here, but in other parts of the world. And it is having quite an impact on those companies, but also those regions of the world. When you think about, you know, the issues that Amazon is having, Google as well, uh, the money that is sitting offshore potentially to be repatriated. But, you know, we have to have the right tax uh, system in play. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, something that I think has has been a lesson that has come out again and again and again uh, is that very often uh, these companies and the founders are surprised by how huge what they started out to do has become. I mean, yeah. one of the I, I opened the book um, with a quote from uh, Indiana Jones, you know, from Raiders of the Lost yeah. Ark, yeah. Uh, where Indy and Sala are talking, and um, and Indy says, "I'm going after that car," and Sala says, "How?" and Indy says, "I don't know. I'm making this up as I go along." And yeah. that has really been part of what's happened in Silicon Valley for a long time. And when you're dealing with very big companies that are doing this, it looks really different than when you're dealing with a scrappy little startup startup doing this. Uh, Leslie Berlin is the author of the book Troublemakers. Your comments welcome at eight four four Wharton eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. What's the opinion of? kind of the tech movement now, and, and obviously Silicon Valley is still the hub, but we're starting to see more and more, you know, tech innovation pop up in, in different places. We see it here to a degree in Philadelphia. We did a, a segment on the show a few months back about it popping up in Cincinnati a little bit. So, I mean, it, it's, it, it hasn't surged in a lot of other places, maybe Austin being one of the ones that it has. Uh, but really, Silicon Valley is still the hub of this some 40 years later. Yeah, I think I think there are a couple things at play here, and of course, you know, Seattle is a great example. And Seattle of another, too, yeah. Another yep. huge tech yep. region. Yep. Um, but everything you're pointing to really shows um, the shift to software. And I mean, you know, it, it used to be you needed literally billion-dollar fabs, um, and you had huge 
factories in Silicon Valley to build this stuff. Now that we've moved much more to software, people basically with a computer and an internet connection are, are able to be doing the innovation. Um, and that said, I think that what has continued to make Silicon Valley um, the, the hub of the wheel in a lot of ways is that this, there's just a finely tuned ecosystem that came up around um, high tech. This was more or less an agricultural region before tech came here. So they were able to custom build essentially a business environment. And at this point, we're dealing with almost 75 years of perfecting that environment that's really worked to Silicon Valley's advantage. Uh, I mean, is it is it your expectation, though, that, that we will see other hubs popping up in the years to come because of how how important it is to our society? I mean, none of us can live without a smartphone these days. Uh, you know, we have to have our, our variety of other uh, instruments to use, whether it be uh, tablets, uh, home computers, whatever. And, and obviously the, the tech start, uh, push has really pushed out into so many other sectors as well. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely right. And, of course, I mean, the line between the tech industry and, say, the entertainment industry or the tech industry and, um, you know, biotech or the tech, it's, it's, at this point, it's really hard to disentangle uh, the tech from everything else because it's just it's underpinning everything else. And, and of course, we see and we have for a long time whole, whole areas of the world that are devoted to different parts of the uh, tech economy, and that is just part of globalization. Any concerns, uh, potentially, of a tech bubble? You know, this is, it's a cyclical economy, and it's, you know, it's gone up, it's going to go down, it's, it's happened again and again and again and again and again. I mean, to me, the, the real threat uh, to Silicon Valley, which you can guess from what I said earlier, um, would be some sort of immigration restriction. That's what yeah. I would worry about. 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. So are, are there areas of, uh, of the tech sector in Silicon Valley that still have lots of room to grow in your mind? Well, you know, one of the things that's been amazing about the Valley to me is that it's just been one generation of tech after another. So if, if you had asked the chip people in the 60s, or, you know, is there room for more tech? Are there room for more chip companies? They would have said, well, I don't know about that. But then here you come with all your per your personal computer and video games and biotech. And then if you'd ask those people, well, you know, is there more room in consumer tech? I'm not sure what they would have said. But then here come all the networking companies. And then, you know, then you end up with your, well, now we're all the way at, we're at cloud, we're at mobile, we're at, you know, we had the web 2.0 in there. It's just been one thing after another after another. So, you know, asking your friendly neighborhood historian, you know, what's going to come next, I can't tell you. But what I can tell you is even the people who know these things um, yeah. are surprised because something seems always to bubble up next. One of the other people you, that you uh, you interviewed in this was Bob Swanson, who was uh, you know, pr pretty well-known person as a CEO of, of Genentech for a long period of time. Uh, what's his reaction to all that has gone on in Silicon Valley and to a degree with, with Genentech since, uh, since it was bought out a bunch of years ago? You know, Bob Swanson is the only person um, who had already passed away when I started oh, writing yeah. the book. Yeah. yeah, so I didn't have a chance 
to talk with him. But yeah. you're hitting on something that's in, a really interesting point, which is this is the first time I've written a book where all of the principles are alive. And yeah. so I was able to actually talk with them about their reactions yeah. to change, you know, the changes that they've seen. And of course, not surprisingly, um, you know, they're all over the map. And Bob Taylor's another one uh, that unfortunately passed away last year as well, correct? He did, yes. But Bob was very opinionated yeah. um, about, you know, Silicon Valley today. He felt like it, it should be called Software Valley, which um, is a very justifiable thing to say. More than half of all the VC investments at this point are in the Valley are going to software. Um, and, you know, Bob loved – he loved um, – being able to, one of the things that uh, his group did when he moved over to Deck um, was develop one of the first electronic books, and he loved his Kindle, and he kept. He was an incredibly witty and regular email correspondent. He this, he was someone who, from very early on, this is the guy who convinced the Department of Defense to start the ARPANET, that eventually kind of yeah. morphed into the internet. Felt like we can use electronics to connect and create communities across distance. And he really felt like that had happened. Is there still a lot of room for Silicon Valley to keep growing? I, you know, I, as somebody who lives, lives here, I sort of look around and it's very, very crowded. And I think, oh, I don't know, you know, how much, how much more the system can take. Um, But then literally I go back and look, you know, look at, 2001 they're saying there's no room for growth or you you look at you look in the 70s and there there are literally emails saying it's the end for silicon valley you know too crowded too expensive no room for innovation silicon valley you know comes to an end and it's just i don't know i don't know how it keeps going it does just keep going uh any any uh, any hints uh that you're hearing out there as to what amazon is going to do with this quote unquote hq2 Nope, I have no inside track on that. <laughs> I, I was hoping we we might be able to get something there on on that since Philadelphia is seemingly one of those areas that uh, that is uh, that is drawing attention on that. Uh, Leslie, thank you very much for your time today. Uh, it's it's an entertaining book, and we greatly appreciate you giving us a few minutes today. All right. I had a great time. Thanks for the call. Thank you very much. The book is Troublemakers, Silicon Valley Coming of Age. Leslie Berlin of Stanford University, the author of the book. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.